Well, good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church's traditional service. For those of you online and those in the room, it's such a pleasure to be here this morning with you. Um, thanks also to Nancy Trupas, who uh, pointed our hearts and our minds towards heaven uh, as we prepared to worship this morning. Today in our service, our, our, our theme is going to be praise, just praising God for who he is, for what he's done. And even though for those in the room, we're asking you to sing softly, we know that in your hearts, we can shout it out loud and all of you at home, sing, sing away. Um, we, scripture reminds us over and over that we should remember, remember, remember what God has done in our lives and what he's done in the past, creation all the way through. And so today we're going to start a little differently, or Tony's going to play God is So Wonderful on the organ. And while he plays and while you listen, I encourage you to take some time to think about what God has done in your life. Maybe there are some key milestones that he, um, he intervened and made a huge difference. Or maybe just in the last week, there are some things that he has done that you can praise him for. So let's listen and praise him in our hearts before we sing together. Good morning, and I know those applause were in praise to the God we serve and worship this morning. Would you listen to the word of God with me as I read from Jeremiah? 
No one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from its storehouses. This is the word of the Lord from Jeremiah. And will you stand and join me in response, singing, I sing the mighty power of God.
you can have a seat. Let's pray together using some of the familiar texts of hymns that we know and love. My Jesus, I love thee. I know you are mine. I resign all the follies of my sin because of your love for me. My gracious Redeemer, you are my Savior. If ever I loved you, my Jesus, it's now. I love you because you first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love you for wearing the thorns on your brow. If ever I loved you, my Jesus, it's definitely now. Like a river glorious is your perfect peace, and we declare that today in the midst of our crazy world. Over all victorious is it in its bright increase. It's perfect, yet it keeps flowing fuller every day. It's perfect, yet it grows deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, our hearts are fully blessed, finding, as you promised, that perfect peace and rest. Oh God, in these very tricky days in which we live, help us to consider our trials as many kinds of pure joy. We know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance, and that perseverance helps us to become more mature and complete in our faith, not lacking anything, and that is a treasure for which we work for. Give us wisdom for you give wisdom generously to all without finding fault. Help us to believe and to not doubt you, our Father, our Savior, our friend, and the Ancient of Days. We pray that our hearts will be overflowing with praise, not only now, but throughout the upcoming weeks and months ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. So I will 
have a seat. Good morning. We're so happy you're with us today. I'm Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. We're so excited to have gradually started meeting again on campus. Our gatherings have a few modifications in place to worship safely, including reduced size gatherings and asking you to wear a mask for the duration of the service. To worship on campus, you can register now at our website. Every year, our church organizes and participates in CareFest. It's a great way to show God's love and build connections within our community by lending our time and skills to complete repair and care projects for others. CareFest is taking place on August 8th, so now is the time to plan or join a project. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas online and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects opens today, so visit wheatonbible.org slash carefest and sign up for a project. During COVID-19, many of our missionaries have been stretched to the limit, including Vic and Dr. Leslie Troutwine in the Dominican Republic. The Troutwines head up Kids Alive DR, where they provide holistic care to over 2,000 at-risk kids through schools and orphanages. With students unable to attend school and the crippling economic downturn, Kids Alive has pivoted to become a relief agency. Over the past two months, the Troutwines team has regularly distributed food sacks to over 1,200 households, providing immediate hunger relief to nearly 5,000 people. Thanks to your generosity, our church was able to extend a grant toward these relief efforts to not only address food scarcity, but also to provide family devotions, activity and academic packages for kids, safety material, and emotional care. From their hearts, Vic and Leslie say, thank you for being a part of our rescue team in the Dominican Republic. If you're able, would you please take a moment to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977, visiting our website, wheatonbible.org slash give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thank you for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week. Morning, familia. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful that we get to be part of the church. We are grateful, Lord, that um, we get to be here and we get to be in our homes and we get to be in different parts of the world demonstrating the power of the gospel. Showing to others how powerful and amazing you are. Loving people that is not like us. Giving our lives for people that matter. Lord, these are times of uncertainty. But we rest in the reality, Lord, that you are not uncertain. That you are powerful. That you remain faithful that you never walk away. And with that in mind, Lord, we want to thank you for the opportunity that you give us to contribute to the kingdom through our offerings. I pray, Lord, that you use anything and everything the church collects for the glory of your name, for the joy of your people and other people, and for the salvation of the lost. 
And Lord, now as we prepare for the preaching of God's word, I pray, Lord, that you give me enough conviction to speak with boldness, enough grace to speak with gentleness, enough love to speak with love, and to preach the truth and nothing but the truth. Please be with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say... So, good morning, familia, again. For those of you guys that are, that are here, uh, I'm, this is such a blessing to be able to see faces close, uh, close by. For those of you that are home, um, I'm so glad that we get to at least be worship together, even though you are home. And as you know, for the last few weeks, we have been going through a series based in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom for Life. And today, um, we're going to talk about... Uh, uh, an interesting, complicated uh, subject. But before I tell you the subject of that, I, I'm realizing that there's a reason why Rob asked me to preach this sermon today. It's precisely because it's a complicated subject. I'm not going to hold it against him. He's the senior pastor. After all, I'll forgive him. But before we talk about this, I want to invite you to please, for those of you that are here in the sanctuary, to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence uh, to him. If you are at home and you want to do that, please feel free, but you don't have to. Today we're going to be reading from different sections of the book of Proverbs. Um, so please follow along as I read. Um, we're going to put these verses on this screen. We're going to start with Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Proverbs 11, chapter 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Proverbs 21, verse 7. The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. Proverbs 29, verse 7. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31, verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Proverbs 31, verse 9, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today, we're going to talk about the concept of justice and racism. That's why I said that it was a difficult topic, and this is actually the reason why I prayed the way I prayed at the beginning. Now, uh, I, I'm speaking for myself, but because this, is, this topic has been abused by many, misrepresented by others, and uh, to the point that I think it has really affected Christians, even as we read the Bible and how the Bible talks about these concepts. Um, so today what we're going to do, um, we're going we're gonna to talk about three things to actually unpack the whole thing. We're going to talk about God and justice. We're going to talk about the church and justice. And we're going to talk about righteousness and justice. Now let's just start with the first point, uh, God and justice. Now why start here? 
Well, I think that a part of the reason why we have to start here is because whenever we're going to talk about anything in the Bible, we must keep in mind that anything and everything the Lord asks of us to do, it's always a reflection of who he is, a reflection of what he does, and a reflection of what he likes. The reason why we got to put God in the center of this conversation is because the Lord never calls us to do something or anything that he himself is not doing or will do. So, for example, when the Lord calls us to live in holiness, it's because he is holy. When the Bible calls us to extend grace, it's because God is a God of grace. When the Bible calls us to be merciful, it's because God is a God of mercy. When the Bible calls us to be patient, it's because God is a God of patience. Any command, any rule, any law, any imperative in the Bible is always a reflection of something that he is, that he does, or, what that, or something that he likes. We should never divorce anything that the Lord commands of us from his character and his nature. This is the reason, then, why Micah chapter 6 says this. Um, Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. There it is. Verse 8. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is interesting because the text is calling believers and Christians to walk humbly with God. And he tells us that the way we are walking humbly with God is when we apply these two things that seem like two things that is actually one thing. It says that you know when you're walking humbly with God, when you act justly and when you love mercy. The reason why I say that these are two things, but actually it's only one, is because many scholars believe that loving mercy is the motivation, is the driver, but acting justly is what, what people do that love mercy. That, what the people, that when people love mercy, they, they will eventually act justly. That's exactly what I think the Bible calls us to do as Christians. To love mercy to the point that we start to act justly. Once again, what the Bible is calling us to do is to reflect something that he is, he is just, to act like he does, he does because he acts justly, and to execute what he executes, which is justice. Imitate him. Now, when you read the Bible, it's one of those interesting things, because when you read the Bible, you find that the word justice, it's, it appears about 200 times in the entire scripture. About 200 times. So, for example, Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 8, he says, For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In uh, Psalm 89, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. One of my favorite verses when it comes to this topic is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. And it says like this. Oh, sorry. Uh, verse 24. It says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Notice that. Notice those two words. Understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. From this verse alone, I, I learned two things. 
that the only way we learn how to be like God or behave like God or act like God is when we understand him and when we know him. That's the first thing that we could clearly see in the text. The second thing that we can see in the text is that we do not have the right to elevate one of the attributes of God above any and every other attribute. The text clearly tells you that our God is a God of steadfast love. It's a God of justice. It's a God of right, uh, righteousness or holiness. It tells you that we don't have permission to pick one of those above the rest. It tells you that Christians ought to embrace the whole thing as it is. I actually think that that's the reason why sometimes in Christianity and in the church we struggle with certain topics in the Bible. It's not that it's not there. It's that we tend to elevate some topics more than others. Some of his attributes more than others. And what the Bible calls us to do is to embrace the whole thing. And during this season, I believe the Lord is calling us to embrace the concept of justice. Because he is a God of justice. Now, of course, we've got to ask the question, what does the Bible mean by justice? And this is where I think that the book of Proverbs is really going to help us. And this is my prayer, that we allow the Bible to speak, even if we struggle with some of these things. And I'm inviting you to live, uh, to put to the side whatever you learned before about justice. And I'm inviting you to divorce the concept of justice, justice from uh, Marxism and socialism. They, they got it wrong. But I want to invite you to let the Bible speak what the Bible says about this topic. So there's a couple of things that I want to uh, invite you to consider about justice. Actually, I think that justice has kind of a dual definition. One is, um, uh, you could say, one is to give, and the other one is to stop. So when we talk about justice in the Bible, it's always this combination of these two things. It's to give and it's to stop. Let me show you the first one, why I say that justice is to give. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Now, the word good there is important because it's talking about tangible things. Things that we could give to other people for their benefit. That's what the word good there means. But the word do, which is the one that we highlighted, Literally, from the original, needs to be translated as give them what they own or give them what they deserve. Now, check this out. Justice is to give to others what is good for them, what is good for their benefit, because that's what they deserve. They own it. They own it and they deserve it, not because they work for it. They own it and they deserve it, not because they're better than everybody else. They own it and they deserve it because they were created in the image of God. They own it and they deserve it because they have the value and the dignity of being created in the image of God. Here's another verse, Proverbs 21, verse 7. 
The violence of the wicked will drag them away, for they refuse to do what is right. Notice that it says that a wicked person is a person that refuses to do what is right toward your neighbor. What's amazing about this text, though, is that the word what is right, the phrase what is right, is one word in the original. Guess what word that is? Justice. The wicked does not give to people what is justly theirs. Justice is to give others what they rightly deserve, what is right. Injustice is not to give people created in the image of God what is right. And it is here when I have to talk about racism and prejudice. Because the root of racism and prejudice is to not give other people and to not view other people the way God views them or what the God wants to give them. This is so, let me give you a quick definition so we all are on the same page. Racism, by definition, is when a person wrongly thinks that there are some people that are superior based on their race or even ethnicity and sometimes even their culture. And it's to think at the same time not only that some people are superior, but by default that there are other people that are inferior because of their race, ethnicity, and culture. Even, uh, so please forgive me on this one, but even the term race is a wrong term, if you will. Because the Bible does not talk about multiple races. That's something that was created by us, created by human beings. Biblically speaking, there's only one race, the human race. Scientifically speaking, that is proven because there's one race. 99.9% of the way we are built, we are all the same. Point one is different. So some people argue that the concept of race was created by men to separate people into different categories. John Perkins calls it the sin of color coding. The Bible talks about one race, one human race created in the image of God. What racism does, it says there are some people that because they're superior, we got to give them what is right. And there are some people that they are inferior, therefore we don't have to give them what is right. Now, prejudice is a little bit different. Because prejudice is when you allow negative beliefs and attitudes toward a person based on his, his, and his or her association with a specific group. This is when we say things like, you are all the same. I don't know about you, but I hate it when people say that all Latinos are the same. Or that we look the same. That's actually the, the effect of prejudice. What the Bible calls us as Christians is to give people what they deserve simply because they are created in the image of God. They have value and they have dignity. Now, the second definition of the term justice in the Bible is to stop is to stop acts of injustice. So look with me, Proverbs 29, verse 7. It says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have not such concerns. 
Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Three things I learned from that, those two verses alone. Number one, God really cares for the justice of the poor. That's extremely clear in the text. Number two, God cares for the rights of the destitute. The word destitute there can be translated as oppressed or marginalized. And number three, God defends the rights of the poor and the needy. To act justly, to pursue justice, is to do anything in our power to give to others what they rightly deserve because they have been created in the image of God. And to do anything in our power to do to stop injustice. Why? Because he delights in that. See, as Christians, we all believe, or we should believe, in the sanctity of life. Amen? I want to invite you to widen that concept. Because when we claim to believe in the sanctity of life, we are saying that we care for life from the wound all the way to the tomb. I think that there's a great difference between being pro-life and just being pro-birth. We are called as Christians to love human beings since before they're born all the way until they go to the presence of our Father. We care for people's souls, and we care for people's lives. We don't do this dichotomy where we embrace some parts of the person, but not the entire person. I, I, I want to read over you. I, wanna, I want you to hear one psalm that I think makes this point extremely clear. This concept of being pro-life from the wound all the way to the tomb. This is Psalm 146. Look at what the psalm, how the psalm describes our God. He says he is the maker of heaven and earth. It shows you that God is powerful enough to create everything. The sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever. And he, t- and he points to us his character. Not only he's powerful, but he's faithful. That's his character. But here, how is it that God uses that power on behalf of what people? He upholds the cause of the oppressed, and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Do you know why that's so important? Because if you are the victim of injustice, any of you are the victim of injustice, God cares, God says, I care for you. I am for you and I am with you. And for the rest of us that might not be, being vict- might not be experiencing uh, injustice, he says, care for the things that I care. Love the people, love people the way I do. Do what I do. 
See, there's, there's no way around this. The Lord calls us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before him. This is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to reflect our Father in heaven. This is what it means to be one of the things, what it means to bring heaven and earth. Is to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. Is to love how he loves. Is to act justly. Is to act justly. With that in mind then, I got to go to my second point. The church and justice. Now let me show you again Proverbs 29.7. Just to show you one word that appears a good number of times in the book of Proverbs. And is the word righteous. It says that the righteous cares about justice. Now, the word righteous is a very important word um, because in the entire book of Proverbs, according to Bruce Walke, which is a scholar that we have been quoting here left and right because he's our main guide when it comes to the book of Proverbs, he says that a righteous person disadvantages himself or herself to advantage others. That's what a righteous, righteous person is. Someone that disadvantages himself for the sake of others, to advantage others. The opposite of righteousness, of course, is wickedness. And according to Walkie, then, a wicked person is someone that is willing to advantage himself or herself by disadvantaging other people. See, in order for, in order for anybody to advantage him or herself and disadvantage by, the, by disadvantaging other people, the only way anybody could do that is when in, in our minds and in our hearts, we dehumanize other people. Isn't that what racism is? See, part of the issue with racism is that in order for you to not like, I'm not going to use the word hate, but to not like another race, another ethnicity, another culture, in your mind and in your heart, you have to dehumanize them. And the book of Proverbs says, that's wickedness. But the church ought to be known because of their righteousness. Because they will disadvantage themselves for the sake, for the sake of others to advantage others. And I love this verse because there's one key word that I want you to remember today. Care. The righteous cares. You know why? Because to care is to love. The word care is the summary of the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself care. So this is what I'm going to do. I usually don't do this. Well, for this one, I thought that I should do something that people might be able to remember. I don't care about uh, cool phrases and catchy quotes. You, you will never see me doing that. But for this one, I will. So I'm going to use the word care as an acronym because I think that it's going to help us remember what is expected of us as Christians. And before I do that, I want you to see the potential that we have as Christians to change the culture. Let me say it again. I want you to see 
the potential that we have as Christians to shape the culture, to transform society. And this comes from Proverbs 11, verse 10. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. You know what that means? That culture and the city changes when we are willing to disadvantage ourselves to advantage other people. When we do it at home, when we do it with our neighbors, when we do it in society, when you do it at work, when you do it wherever you go. Now, let me show you then what care means to me. I think that we are called, we let us see, to care enough to cry. That's how we start to change the culture. Romans 15, 12, uh, Romans 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This is the concept of lamenting in the Bible. Is learning how to cry with those that are crying. Is learning how to cry with those that are victims of injustice. This is, in my opinion, the primary way in which we start to gradually change and affect our culture. Is by exercising empathy. This is the thing. In order for you to cry, you don't need to understand everything. In order for us to cry, we don't, doesn't mean that we have certain reservations and questions to be answered. Our primary call as Christians is to cry and mourn with those that cry and mourn. H.B. Charles Jr., this is what he says. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping. If you are a parent, you know what that means. If your kid came crying to you, you don't stop to say, what did you do? You hug. You cry. Micah Edmondson, Empathy means that we take the burdens, the sorrows, the concerns of our neighbors upon ourselves to the point of crying tears with them. We think about their children as if they were our children. We think about their concerns as if, as if they were our personal concerns, and we cry tears with them. What is the thing that you need the most when you're suffering? You don't need a lecture you don't need questions. You don't need a sermon. You need someone that is close to you being by you. The church is called to care enough to cry. Especially for those that are victims of injustice. The church is called to care enough to take action. That will be letter A. Proverbs 31, 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Proverbs 31, 9, um, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Notice, speak and defend. And defend. Christians do not have the luxury to be indifference before injustice. Silence is offensive. 
Silence is indifference. Dr. King said it like this. We have in this generation not merely the hurtful words and actions of bad people, but the appalling silence of good people. Now, when I was thinking about this one, I, I think that there's a lot of reasons why the tendency is to stay quiet. And I think that to a certain degree, we have to extend grace, but we cannot stay there. See, I, I think that sometimes we stay quiet because of fear. Fear of saying the wrong thing, for example. Fear of not knowing what to say. Fear of being misunderstood. That's, that's valid. I think that sometimes we want to stay quiet because of uncertainty. We don't know how people will react. That's valid. I, I, I think that sometimes we, are, we're, we stay silent because we, we have tried in the past and things went wrong and now we're wounded. That's valid. I also think that many times we stay silent because of selfishness, indifference, and I hope not in the church, but because we have racist tendencies. My job is not to tell you which one you are. Maybe none of those. But what I want you to see is that the Bible makes it clear, the book of Proverbs makes it clear that we are called to speak and defend. And I want to help you understand why is it that people that are victims of injustice sometimes don't know how to read that. You know, let me use an example. In marriage, for example, if you're struggling with your wife or your husband, if you don't say anything, your spouse does not know how to read that. Is it that he doesn't care? Is she being complicit to something? Let me tell you, silence, it's almost like saying, am I my brother's keeper? And the Bible says, yes. There's only one race, the Christian race, the human race, if you will, the human race. There's only one family, per se, for Christians, is the Christian family, Jesus' family. One father, one brother, one Holy Spirit, one church. Am I my brother's keepers? You bet you are. I am. Care enough to take action. Letter R. Care enough to repent. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. This is Jeremiah asking the Lord to examine his heart and the heart of the people so they could repent for personal things. But look at Lamentations chapter 3 verse 42. We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven this is what is interesting about that text. That this is Jeremiah repenting for something he did not do. He's repenting for the sins of his people. Nehemiah does the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 1. Daniel does the same thing in Daniel chapter 9. 
And I know that this is a struggle for many people. It's difficult to understand because they, the, the, the valid reason is, why should I repent of something I did not do? So let me try to explain it in the best way I can. You ought to repent at a personal level for the things that you have done, right? For active injustice, for racist tendencies, for prejudice, for indifference, for being defensive, for, I don't know, pride, for inactivity, for silence. There's so many things that we should repent of at a personal level. We are never to repent or apologize for who the Lord made us to be. I'm never going to apologize for being a Latino. You never should ever apologize for being black or white or Asian. The Lord made us that way, and that is beautiful. On the other hand, I think that at least we should consider, at the very least, we should consider that sometimes we can sin by commission, we sin because of the things we have done, or by omission, by not, do, by not doing the things that we're supposed to do. And at our own level, I do think that as Christians, there should be some sort of corporal corporate repentance and this is the only reason i have because our past bears toxic fruit in the present our past is still affecting our present there's a book uh written by miroslav wolf I don't even know if I pronounce that name right, the name right. But he says that there are four ways in which we can exclude a group. He says that we can exclude a group by elimination, like the Holocaust, by domination, by segregating people and intimidating them, by assimilation to refuse to accept people as they are and to try to turn them into people like we are, and by abandonment to refuse to care for their needs and to defend them. Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, in our history, we have a little bit of all of that? Our, our past really affects our present. And lastly, we are called to care enough to be exposed. One thing that I love about Romans 12, 15 is that it calls me to mourn with the ones that are mourning. I don't know how to cry for anybody that I don't know. I don't know how to cry for someone that I have no relationship with. And as Christians, we have the beautiful and amazing opportunity to cry with brothers and sisters that are not like us. So this is what I've done in my own personal journey, because I think that historically there's a difference in the way uh, Latinos uh, experience injustice to the way, for example, African Americans experience injustice. I think that we're different for many different reasons. So I wanted to learn from one of our brothers in the church. I wanted to hear him. I wanted to hear his experience. I wanted to feel, try to feel and understand what he feels and what he understands. And he was sharing with me a little bit of, of the African-American uh, history. And we spoke for about two hours, but there was one thing that, man, it, it broke my heart. He was talking about how in the 60s, there was a phrase African-American used um, that became really popular, and the phrase was, black is beautiful. 
Now, I had already heard about that, but what I did not know is that he says that that phrase was not created, so the rest of the world will know that black is beautiful. He was explaining to me that the reason why that phrase became so popular is because African Americans needed to remember that black is beautiful. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking as a father. And I'm thinking, how awful would it be that my daughters need to remember that brown is beautiful? How awful would it be that our kids need to remember that white is beautiful, that black is beautiful? I think that we are changed by proximity. Care enough to be exposed because to care is to love. Question, how do we change? How do we become the people that can change the culture? And for that is my last point, righteousness and justice. Once again, verse 29 says that the righteous care about justice. You remember when we read, I read at the beginning that we said that the only way we become just, uh, people of justice, is when we understand and know our God? Well, who is truly righteous in the Bible? Only Jesus. It is by knowing him and understanding him that we become righteous people. He was the one that truly acted justly, loved mercy, and walked humbly before God. He was the only one who humbled himself, disadvantaging himself, emptying himself for our sake to feel our pain, to feel our struggle, but without sin. It is only Jesus, the truly one, that is the God of steadfast love. He truly cared. He truly, truly cared. He cared enough to cry for me and, with you, and for you. He cared enough to cry with us in the midst of our pain, and he cared enough to cry for you at the cross. God, please forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He cared enough to take action. He didn't leave us in our misery. He came to us. I could almost see God. God the Father saying, look at these people. They deserve wrath. And I could almost hear Jesus saying, I'll go. I'll defend them by taking their place on the cross. He cared enough to repent, not for his sins, but for our sins. The cross is the a cosmic repentance for our sins, not his. He cared enough to experience. That's why God becomes a human being in Jesus. To finish this, I want to read something that John Perkins wrote in his book, One Blood. A man truly to be admired. We are one race. We are one blood, all created from one man, Adam. We are saved by one blood, the blood of Jesus, the Son of God who gave his life to reconcile us to the Father and to one another. We need to remind ourselves that God fights for those who trust his purposes. We are marked by love, truth, and forgiveness. Reconciliation is not going to be won in the streets. It's going to be won by believing in Jesus Christ who chose to live out the truth of the gospel. 
It is going to be one in the hearts and minds of men, women, boys, and girls who choose to believe that 99.9% oneness trumps our 1.1 difference. It's going to be won by those who will be courageous enough to stand and tell the truth about the ugliness of ethnic hatred and the beauty of true Christian brotherhood. That's you. And that's me. Let's pray. God of grace, we, we thank you, Lord, because you are good. We thank you, Lord, because you come and you came to transform us and to not leave us in our misery. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you allow the words of the Bible to speak into our hearts in such a way that we believe and that we become people of righteousness. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say... Let's stand and respond.
want to remind you that every week we pray as a team in the church, and so if you have prayer requests, please let us know. Uh, you could text it. Uh, you could text your prayer request to the church uh, to the to two six zero six three zero two six zero sixteen hundred. Put the word prayer, and we're going to be praying for you. And I believe that the only way we're going to be able to live our righteousness is when we truly be not only we embrace who Jesus is and we understand and know Him, but that we truly believe in the promises that he gives us in this blessing. So let me pray over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Church, you are sent. We'll see you next week.